This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello. What's up? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the show, y'all. What's up, everybody? If you're new to this thing called Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, We're normally on a little bit later, but times have changed, right, Shira? Yeah, you always leave it to me to share the time because you know it's hard. Mm -hmm. 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. I can do math. Um, can you? No, yeah, I think you've gotten better at it. You've gotten way better at it than me. I was on the morning beat this morning, uh, promoing that I our time was changed. Where, where was my invite? You did get an invite, but you had a meeting and you said you couldn't make it. I didn't realize it. that it was actually happening. Okay. Well, we can talk about this off the air. What? Okay. Yo, she just threw that out of nowhere. No, I actually didn't know She's, we were actually doing it, but how was she, it? You did Did know. you go to, did you do a good job for wow, us? Wow, I did. I did. I think I did a pretty good job. Uh, I love going on and chit-chatting with Michaela and... And AJ, and that was the one thing that I had got tongue-tied on was the times because Eastern time is just the worst when you're thinking about it. It's like the math. I'm like, girl, am I in the third grade again? Mm -hmm. Who wants to be smarter than a fifth grader? Not me. Uh, I do. I would hope I'm smarter than a fifth grader, but a lot of times I don't think I am. I think we peaked at smart of at smartness. Uh, well, this proves it. Uh, right. uh, I'm not speaking English well right now. Oh God! So uh, we have a lot of good stuff coming up. I am yes, so excited do. because we have historian and social media star Blair Imani joining us. Let me tell you, this is special. She's coming on to talk about this whole woman X controversy, spelling women with an X which seems to be this new thing mm-hmm, uh, that mm-hmm. people are doing. But it actually, it, it's not very inclusive, and we're going to tell you why. Well, I, I'm not sure that it's not inclusive. I, I, I just think there's a lot of divided conversation, and we're just going to have it here, live on air. Plus, a lonely is a new term, and we're, we're going to be explaining that, what it's all about, what to do if you're experiencing it. And it's something, actually, when I looked into it, Ryan, it's me. I don't care about these new terms. I I only want to know, is the stimulus check coming? That's what I care about. We're also talking about that. But that's true. Why are there so many new terms? (laughs) All right, ready to get started. Yeah, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The Capitol riots probe is continuing. D.C. National Guard Commander William J. Walker says the Secretary of the Army didn't allow him to deploy a quick reaction force on January 6th, and that after he called in for authorization on the day of the insurrection... It took three hours and 19 minutes to get approval. Hmm, seems sketchy. And he requested the immediate assistance of as many available National Guardsmen that I could muster. 
Immediately after that 149 call, I alerted the U.S. Army senior leadership of the request. The approval for Chief Sun's request would eventually come from the Acting Secretary of Defense and be relayed to me by Army senior leaders at 5.08 p.m., about three hours and 19 minutes later. Well, that seems fishy. Oh, yeah, it does. Right? <laughs> it I mean, does. gaps, holes. You don't need to be an FBI agent to see something's weird here. Yeah, it just seems like, you know, people in power, they feel like they could just kind of get away with certain things. We've seen it in history, but this is really interesting. Or someone was sitting back and being like, no, let this continue. Yeah, for just a few let this happen. No big deal. Now, the Alabama, Alabama Senate approved a bill that would ban gender-affirming health care for transgender minors amid protests against the measure at the state capitol in Montgomery. Similar pieces of legislation have been proposed in several other states over the past few years, but not one has become law. This is crazy. The Alabama bill would bar medical professionals from administering hormones or puberty blockers to anyone under the age of 19, in addition to prohibiting gender-affirming surgeries for this age group. And doctors could face prison time for violations. Several people testified that genital surgeries are not performed on minors because there are widely accepted medical standards. Others testified that drug treatments greatly improve the lives of young trans people, but lawmakers didn't care. The bill would also mandate if a young person experiencing gender dysphoria speaks to a school counselor, listen to this about the matter, the counselor must report that to the youth's parents, something many opponents of the measure found objectionable because we all know if they're not in a safe space, if their home isn't somewhere that's safe, this could put their lives in danger. This has been shown over and over again. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, the royal family is literally doing whatever they can to drag Meghan Markle. It is time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. So, as we all know, the much-anticipated interview happening on Sunday with Oprah Winfrey, Meghan Markle, and Prince Harry are set to sit down. Um, five days before it is scheduled to air, though, a new report is basically <laughs> these allegations that Meghan Markle was out here bullying her entire staff. So um, wait, Oprah's staff? No, not Oprah's staff, but when she was in the royal okay. family and doing all her, her Duchess of Sussex type things. Well, those reports came out claiming that the Duchess of Sussex faced a bullying complaint made by one of her close advisors during her time as a working royal at Kingsington Palace, something her office has strongly refuted. A spokesperson for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex said this in a statement. The Duchess is saddened by this latest attack on her character, particularly as someone who has been the target of bullying herself and is deeply committed to supporting those who have experienced pain and trauma. Now, Buckingham Palace uh, has launched an investigation into these allegations that Meghan Markle bullied these former aides. I don't believe it. I don't think anyone believes it. I think the royal family is being shady and just trying to drag this woman because they don't want, uh, you know, them talking about what's going on in the family. I think they're seeing it kind of as a revenge plot. Yeah, it seems like good timing, right? It's like gross. The special's coming out. We're going to say that she's a bully. Uh, yeah, it is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I wonder if there's a bit, do you think there's a bit of truth in it? 
No, I don't because I, all these folks have been racist to, towards no, her, and they, they're trying to frame this black woman as something else. And I just, yeah, I don't genuinely sucks. like it. So, uh, if you want to know more about that story, head over to weirdchannelq.com. And y'all know I got more tea report next hour. Don't even think about it. I, I'm spilling everything. Well, coming up, Ryan, you wanted to know about stimulus checks, not just about buzzwords and trending terms. Exactly. Well, we've got more on what Biden is saying and how he's limiting eligibility for stimulus payments. Could you be part of that group? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. President Biden has agreed to narrow eligibility for a new round of $1,400 stimulus payments in his new $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill under pressure from moderate Senate Democrats who've pushed for more, quote, targeted spending in the bill. What does that mean? Well, Emily Stewart is back with us, a business and politics reporter at Vox. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what does targeted mean exactly when you say targeted? Targeted basically means money for fewer people. Like the idea here is essentially like people who say they want to target these checks is that they think that people who make more money should not have these checks. And so they want it to be for people who they find more quote unquote deserving. Yeah, I think for me, what I popped up in my brain was, okay, so let's say someone was making 200000 or or $100,000 in 2019, but of course, because of the pandemic, folks have lost their jobs. Does that now mean that they don't qualify for a stimulus to help their families? Are they just kind of left out? Like, what happens? Yeah, so this has also been an issue with the prior checks as well. Like, if you were making $200,000 in 2019, I don't think you would have gotten any of the other checks either, especially if you're a single person. Um, And I would note that, like, if that is the case for someone, say you had a regular job in 2019, you lost your job in 2020, and it would change your stimulus check, file your taxes yesterday because (laughs) the IRS decides who gets checks based on your income. And if they're looking at your 2020 income and it is lower, that's probably going to be mean a, a more accurate stimulus check for sense. you. Makes Interesting. Sense. Emily Stewart at Fox is with us right now. We're talking about the stimulus payments. Every day there's a new update. So would this be recurring? I feel like they need to keep on coming back to square one every time. Would there be, uh, I guess, a bar where if they go under that, you know, it, this continues. If they go over it, it doesn't. There has been chatter of automatic stabilizers or like triggers. That's what it's um, called. For, I was looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> for like, whether it be for unemployment insurance or for stimulus checks, like that's not going to be in this bill. There is a world where it could exist someday and there is talk of it, but it's not in this bill. This is, I mean, Congress keeps putting itself in the same position where it needs to come back to the table over and over again uh, because Congress kind of also wants the the credit for doing stuff. Yeah, Emily Stewart, a business and politics reporter at Vox. I feel like this is a really, did you already do that? I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I know. Yeah, why not? Um, but I, I, I think what makes it, frustrating for me is that this doesn't seem like a good idea for Joe Biden. And it, it seems like he's kind of just trying to play into the moderate Democrats, not trying to ruffle too many feathers. But what are economists saying to a reaction like this? Well, I do think there is a political question here. Like there are a couple of ways to think about this. Like One is that Biden needs 
everybody in the Senate to agree to this package. And if one person, if one Democrat doesn't, then like, that's it. There is no stimulus. So we don't exactly know what the details are of these conversations, but yeah. like, if this is what they have to do, this is what they have to do. Um, you know, I do think that there is also an issue where you know, we think that millions of people are not going to get stimulus checks because of this. Now, there are people who haven't gotten them in the past who are going to get checks because this new bill adds in adult dependents, which like think of like college kids, things like that, who didn't get previous stimulus checks. But I've seen estimates that like maybe 12 million adults are not going to get checked. And those people are going to remember that and feel that some of those people really do need that money and have been budgeting for that. Well, Emily, thanks again for being with us today. You can find all of Emily's work. She's a business and politics reporter at Vox.com. Have a great night. Thanks. Coming up on the show, lifting the mask mandate. Good or bad idea? An infectious diseases expert has those answers for us next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. And, you know, Texas and Mississippi have lifted mask mandates and say all businesses can open at 100% capacity. Uh, But health officials are still warning not to ease restrictions. Doesn't seem to matter, though, does it? Dr. Michael Sag is back with us, who's a professor of medicine, director at the UAB Center for AIDS Research, an infectious diseases expert. We love having him on. Welcome back. Good to be back with you. Let's go there. Yes, exactly. This is is nuts. (laughs) Yeah, so how do you feel about this latest announcement? I mean, to be honest, I can't figure out any good reason to do this. And I think everybody listening is probably scratching their head as well. There's no scientific evidence. There's no data. There's no public health policy right now that says this is a good idea. Even from a business perspective, which I'm sure people would say, well, you know, we've suffered and our, but we've got, we've got money coming from the federal government like we should. That's to help these businesses come along and, and make it through, let's just say the next three months. If we can get through that and get people vaccinated, then, then when the numbers are down and the data tells us we can move forward with these types of things. To me, I can only think of one reason that this makes any sense. And that's politics. Mm, I mean, it, it feels like that's always at the center of all of these decisions, especially if a Republican is running the state um, but I, or the country. Um, but I know that more than 50 million Americans have now gotten their first shot a- against COVID-19 and 25 million have gotten two shots. I just wonder, what should we be looking at when it comes to how this, the vaccines protect us against the spread of the virus, especially now that people are going unmasked? Yeah, well, hopefully they aren't going unmasked yet. Hopefully, even despite the lifting of the mandate, people are smart enough to be uh, uh, overcoming their uh, their political leaders. But here's the thing. Your question is spot on. What we're looking for is out of a country of 330 million people, we'd like to see at least 240 to 250 million of us be vaccinated. And we're headed there, but obviously we're not there yet. That's the first thing. Some other metrics we can look at is the rate of positivity of tests. We want that rate to be down to around 2% or less. What that means, of all people getting tested, we want it to be less than 2% that actually are positive. And we'd also like the rate per 100,000 in the population. That means how many people in the population are positive at any moment in time. Uh, We'd like that to be down below 8 
per 100,000 or five or as low as we can get it in that way. But, you know, just several weeks ago, we were at 50, 60, 70, and perhaps even higher. We need to get that number down. This is not safe yet. We have variants going around. The mask help us for the people who are unvaccinated. This is just, frankly, a really dumb idea. Uh, Dr. Michael Sag is talking to us right now. Uh, Senator John Cornyn defended uh, Governor Abbott's reopening plans and mask mandate repeal, saying the government needs to quit making arbitrary rules that do not have any demonstrable connection with the public health. What do you think about that as a healthcare professional, saying that it's not connected to public health, these arbitrary okay, so what he's trying, Yeah, what he's trying to say is masks don't work. Okay, all right, whoever believes that, come on into the operating room and let us operate on you without wearing a mask. Points. Would that make sense? No. I mean, we wear a mask because it prevents spread of infection. It works. And there are data now that, for example, we just saw, saw the data from double masking that protects up to 90% of transmission of particles. You know, if we're reducing by 50, 60% with a single mask, that's good stuff. It's, it's just an emotional, yeah. non-scientific reaction that they're pulling off here and it's really going to hurt a lot of people. If I have a relative who gets infected in the next couple of weeks or months because the mask mandate is lifted, I don't know what I would do, but I'd be pretty angry. Yep, that's true. And you are in Alabama, so you're uh, close to these places. What's going to happen over there? Well, our governor is going to announce on Friday, I'm hopeful that she will do the right thing and extend the mask mandate. Uh, She has been bold before. She was Uh, declaring the mask mandate several months before Texas and other states did. So I'm hoping that she is uh, thinking about the population rather than any other uh, motivational factors. Well, that was infectious diseases expert Dr. Michael Sag. Thanks again. Love having you on. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, what is the difference between feeling lonely and being a-lonely? Again, a new term, and we're here to help you navigate it. Are you sure they're not just saying, oh, well, maybe a... No, I was thinking uh, a lonely. lonely was something else, but never mind. Or sometimes, I, you know, when I say when I someone asks... Alone. No, that's not Well, right. someone, when someone asks what my name is, this is my problem, I go, uh, Shira. I don't know why I say that, because literally someone, sometimes they write my name, Ashira. A-S-H-I-R-A. That don't even make no damn sense. Because I say, uh, Shira. Anyway. <laughs> Do you get me at Shira Lazar? Find me on Instagram. Also, we have a special guest joining us, Blair Imani, historian, social media star extraordinaire, coming up at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. I really think producer Vanessa needs something to say. What What are you trying to say? Just Vanessa, just go on Vanessa. the mic. What do you What do you need to say? New hours. Oh, talk about oh, the new yeah. hours. See, this is why it's, I'd rather you ha- have you on here. You know, you ever see that Verizon? Girl, tell us the new hours before you go into your new story. <sighs> I was talking about anyway, the new right. the new two hours. to six p.m. Pacific, six to nine p.m. Eastern, <laughs> here on Channel Q. Longer, earlier, better. Faster, stronger. <laughs> what is this? A car commercial? Like Ford? Oh my uh, god! You know um, what's Tiffany Haddish when she did that Super Bowl thing? Where she he, ready? Where uh, Tiffany Haddish had her IFB in her ear, and the producers were like, "What the? Be longer, go longer!" Vamping. And she's like, "Vamp!" And she's like, "They're telling me to be cool. They're telling me to vamp." God, don't you know I'm cool? Oh, 
goodness. She didn't even understand what she was saying. That's like this. Like, just go on the mic and tell everyone. Yo, our, we're, we're seeming a little unhinged right now. Let's uh, grab really back in. What's trending this hour right yeah. now? Governor Andrew Cuomo. We've been waiting for this. He spoke out today about the sexual harassment allegations and apologized to those women who spoke out. I fully support a woman's right to come forward. And I think it should be encouraged in every way. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. And that's not easy. Okay, so he said he's not resigning, but was this a good apology? Is this... No, I just wonder how all the people. You were a Cuomo-sexual at one point at the the beginning of quarantine, uh, where everyone was kind of like having a collective stroke and lusting after this I man. I like the brothers. <laughs> what do you, I mean? Do you, I think it was decent. I will just have to kind of see what happens and and plays out. But I do think he kind of needs to resign regardless. So here's the thing. Yeah, I thought it was a good apology. <laughs> And I think that, unfortunately, there's a lot of men out there who have done bad things and some intentionally and some that like him. And I don't know what's going on. So I I don't know. No one has said anything physical. It's been more verbal um, and how he approached them. Does that change anything, though? Well, uh, no, it doesn't. But uh, I think there's a lot of men in that generation that were just not taught and don't get it. And it's a reckoning that's happening. They're figuring it out. Not going to lie. It sounds like you're making excuses. I know man. it does, but this is a She's real conversation. She's No, this is a real conversation that needs to be had. He's taking accountability. He's literally saying, what I did now that I'm hearing about it was wrong. I unfortunately didn't know about that, but that's my fault. But he still did it. And the investigation's happening, and I think at the end of the day, when you make bad decisions, there are consequences. If that's the case, then probably every... Every guy who is a get boss should resign them. right get now. Get rid of them. I'm, I'm ready for it because we keep running into these issues. Get rid of these folks. I'm sorry. Let's move on to some brighter news. Uh, a first of its kind of LGBTQ plus retirement community will open in London later this year and will focus on the lives, histories, and needs of queer seniors. Tonic Housing Center at Bank House will employ a full-time on-site community and customer engagement manager dedicated to the needs of LGBTQ plus residents who will be responsible for scheduling events and activities. I love this. I think this is so cool and cute. Much needed. I like it too. So if you know any... Oh, and seniors, it's in London too? Oh yes, my God, I'll, I will go retire with my London man. What about yes. your friends, Ryan? You're just going to leave all your old friends here in America? I mean... To be honest, I'll probably be the only one that survives. Oh my God. Ryan always has to make it darker. <laughs> no. Not gonna lie to you. Not gonna lie to you. All right, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Okay, so Tim Allen is one of the few big name celebrities who sided with Donald Trump in the 2016 election and did a new interview with Mark Marin. He explained why he supported 45 over his opponent, Hillary Clinton. It's time for your T Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So in this interview, it took some turns. I mean, the conversation basically uh, was, it basically took a turn to if Disney ever had an issue with Allen's more conservative views. Um, he explained that he's uh, his support of the Republican Party stems from money and taxes only. He considers himself a fiscal conservative. Uh, he then goes on to say this, which is why every 
everyone's a little upset with him. He said, once I realized that the last president pissed people off, I kind of liked that. Um, he said, it was uh, so it was fun to just not say anything, didn't join in the lynching crowd. So many layers of bad instinct. <laughs> I mean, if you want to just top it off, the top layer is the privilege of that to just be like, oh, I enjoy him pissing folks off and taking away their rights and getting the uh, the people upset. I mean, Let me just sit back and watch. This is entertaining. Disgusting. Sometimes people should just be quiet. And I, I mean, I was, a, I'm a huge fan of Tim Allen because of the uh, the Santa Claus movies. I really loved him. I watched everyone in theaters when I was growing up, and it's just really disappointing when you find out where people's lives, um, well, where they, you know, they're kind of their support lies. And so it's unfortunate. If you want to know and or listen to more of that full interview, it was like 75 minutes, head over to wearechannelcute.com. And that is your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. Definitely ruining Christmas. He's more like the Grinch. Yeah. Our Come, Jack Frost. Yeah. Coming up on the show, what is a lonely and how to know if you're dealing with it? We're going to be getting into that next. This seems to be like the new term hour. Okay, so we're going to be talking about two new terms in the next hour. The first one is a-lonely. Okay. What is a-loneliness, you might ask? Well, here to help us is Virginia Thomas, an assistant professor of psychology at Middlebury College in Vermont. She researches solitude, identity, and well-being. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Hello, thank you for having me. That's my mom's name, by the way, so... Oh, it is. I didn't even know that. Yeah, It's a classic name. It is, it is. <laughs> so what's the difference between being lonely and a-lonely? So this is a new term. This term, a-loneliness, was actually coined by Rob Copland. He's a researcher in Canada at Carleton University. And it's something that many of us might recognize, but we've just never had a word for it. And it's essentially when we feel like we're deprived of solitude, that we need more time alone, and for whatever reason, we're not able to get it. So it's kind of the mirror image of loneliness. When we feel lonely, it's like we don't feel like we have enough good quality time with good relationships, but a-lonely is when we don't have enough good quality time with ourselves. I feel that. Yeah. That's, I, I feel that it's grieving in a way. You're grieving the lack of connection with yourself. Yes, and the pandemic has really kind of pushed us to, to these extremes, I think. For some of us who live alone, we are feeling more isolated than ever because mm-hmm. of the lockdowns, the social distancing. But then others of us are suddenly kind of trapped at home with family members and yeah. roommates. And we can't, you know, public spaces are closed. We're working from home. And suddenly, the kind of freedom we have to carve out these little places and periods of time to be alone are suddenly taken away from us. And we're feeling suddenly really deprived of that time, quality time we need to connect with ourselves. So I've always looked at it as a social meter. Like, oh, I need time to kind of replenish that social meter where I Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I can go out and be sociable. um, And then I need time to be alone and re kind of calibrate in a way. What's the balance of that in in just knowing that, hey, I think I may be a lonely. Exactly. So I think you're right about you knowing what your balance is. I think everybody has a different um, ideal balance between time with uh, our social world, friends, family, coworkers, etc., and then time with ourselves. And for those of us who are really extroverted, maybe we just need, you know, little snatches here and there, and then we're good. But some people who are more introverted 
or it's not just about personality. Some of us live very stressful, demanding lives yeah. where we have lots of people who were obligated like children or coworkers that really need us. And so we may need more time alone to bring us back into this balance so that we feel like calibrated, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's about reading our own signals. So if we start to like some classic signals that you're a lonely would be, you're suddenly like excessively irritated when <laughs> normally something didn't irritate you before, yeah. or you feel really fatigued or totally overwhelmed yes. and you're deplete, you're depleted. Virginia. And so that's a signal that we can just like, okay, can I carve out some time? Do I have space to be alone? But again, the pandemic is really putting some constraints on that. So what do you yeah. do if you are like, what if you do, if you're like, I heard these symptoms and well, I'm experiencing that. And what if you're a parent? Like, that's really hard. I feel bad for the parents out there. Yes. Well, I'm a parent. I can speak to that. It is hard. You know, and so I think it takes being creative and being able and willing to negotiate. If you have a roommate or a partner that you live with, or even children, I'm sort of trying to train my children into, okay, I need a little alone time. I'm going to close this door, but then I'll open it again in half an hour and mm -hmm. then we can spend time together. And so I think it's about creating new kind of rules with each other and negotiating if I, if I need this, can you give me that? And then I promise I'll be here for you later so that we can get that time that we need. Yeah, boundaries. Virginia Thomas, again, uh, from Middlebury College in Vermont, assistant professor of psychology. She talks about solitude, identity, and well-being. Thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Coming up on the show, I told you we're talking about terms, and as we're celebrating Women's History Month, lots of people are adding X to the word women. Historian, social media star Blair Amani joins us to break that down and why it might not be as inclusive as you think next. So a new way of writing women is circulating around social media. Add in an X with the where the E should be. Okay, get it? So it's W-O-M-X-N instead of M-E-N. But why did this even start, and what's the point? Well, Blair Amani is with us. She's a historian and an author and a social media star. Thanks for being here. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, it's a little difficult when people start using something and they're not sure where it came from or what the implications are. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I do have a background in gender studies and in history. So I'm approaching it from that angle because, you know, knowledge is power. And that's why we love having you, I of can. course. Yes. So let's talk about this. Where did this start? Why did it start being used? So it's kind of hard to pin down. Um, woman with a Y was originally used in the 80s to promote a music space, uh, but it was also in a very transphobic sense. So some people see the X and they're like, oh, okay, well, I've seen Latinx. That's, you know, inclusive instead of Latino or Latina. Well, in the community, oftentimes Latina is used with an E, but they see the X. People start putting the X on folks, even though folks with the, you know, the yes. regular spelling is already inclusive. But the X, it seems futuristic, and people are like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and so, but the implications and the history of it is really from a transphobic place. And, and I have to be clear here, because um, it, it's key to point out that for folks who self-identify with the identity of woman spelled with an X, absolutely valid. Amazing. We love to see it. But when it's used as an umbrella term for women and specifically people who do not identify and are not women, that's a problem. And when I say that, I have to be very clear that cisgender women are women and transgender women are women. And if we're talking about folks who specifically do not describe themselves as women, say, for example, uh, an agender person, uh, people who don't uh, have a gender identity, 
using women to include those folks with the X is just a typo and a misgendering, which is disrespectful, mm. not inclusive. You know, there's just totally. been such a divide with this conversation because I, I totally, when I saw this whole conversation, the first time I actually saw a woman with an ex was your post where you were saying that it wasn't inclusive. And so I saw so many other people saying, you know, that, oh, it is inclusive. So where do we go when we're having these conversations and we're trying to educate folks, but it seems like people are on two different sides? Like, how do you bridge the gaps? So the key is to listen to the folks who are being harmed by it. Um, so non-binary folks, agender folks who are specifically not themselves women and are being used and are, you know, being included in this attempt at inclusion, but really is a harmful one. Um, and so that's why I worked with an educator named Lex Chandra, who is at I am Lex Chandra on uh, Instagram, because I saw some of their posts and I was like, oh, this is great. So let me reach out and do some stuff. But people have been talking about this for quite some time. Um, but the thing is, that inclusion, changing the words, doesn't change the intent. Let's think about African-American versus black. The woman who attempted to call the police on that bird watcher in uh, Central Park said, an African-American man is harming me. Okay, so you're going to lie about black people and not say black so you're respectful? If the intent doesn't change, then the inclusion isn't there. And I think that's what people miss. You can't just change a word um, if you don't have the context behind it and you don't have the intention behind it. Was this just like woke? straight people that decided to do this to be inclusive like that's where i get confused because why create a term for others if other people aren't asking for that term it happens often so for example um the term handy capable is often applied to disabled people uh by abled people not by the community itself and that's the problem um or we'll see just kind of transformations and things where it doesn't totally apply and it's because just because people are changing the language doesn't mean that they suddenly also care about that community. Um, and so I think that it's uh, important to do some vocab, too. So cisgender means that you wait, are assigned a gender. At wait, birth. wait, oh, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Before you, before you okay. dive into that, because I think this yeah. is going to be really, really good. When we come back, we're going to talk about these terms and allyship and what that looks like. Don't go anywhere. We got more Blair Imani coming right up. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with historian, social media star, activist, public speaker, educator, author. The list goes on and on. Blair (laughs) Imani as we talk about the use of women with an X. Which, before we went to break, you were breaking down the different terminology, especially when it comes to talking about gender and these gender-related terms that we should know. So go ahead. Take the floor. Sure. Okay. So... Um, the fact of the matter is that gender wasn't always used as a way of organizing people socially. If we look at Africa, specifically West Africa, prior to colonization, we see that people weren't organizing themselves based on their genitals. They were organizing themselves based on who was the most talented hunter. Then you were hunting. If you were the best at taking care of kids, you're taking care of kids. But it wasn't based on what we now understand as gender. Um, and that was like a European colonial invention to categorize people, much like race. Um, and so um, cisgender and transgender are terms that we use to describe our different, you know, understandings and gender for ourselves. I'm cisgender, which means same side of, that's what cis means, gender. And that's because I was born and assigned a gender, woman, girl, and I still, assign, I, I still, you know, identify with that. Transgender simply means that you were assigned a gender at birth and you no longer identify as that gender. You're no longer that gender. And there's no hierarchy there. Um, and it's like cisgender and transgender is how we understand gender today, but it's not like one is the only or best way of being. The whole goal is for people to do humanity in whatever way makes sense for them and for us not to 
uh, be harmful to one another. So that's the basic understanding. And so some people feel, though, okay, well, cisgender women can only have women with a common spelling. We need a new term to include transgender women. That's ridiculous and unnecessary because transgender women are already women. Yes. And so it's not, uh, it's, there's no need for that inclusion. Or we'll see people who are attempting to talk about folks who are affected by the patriarchy. And instead of saying people who are affected by the patriarchy, or, or instead of being really specific about these different terms, people will lump together um, women and non-binary people. And sometimes it's appropriate to do that. In my case, I, I wrote a book in 2018 called Modern History, Stories of Women and Non-Binary People. And I included non-binary people who use she, her pronouns and who are uh, under this umbrella of history with the pronouns. Mm. Um, but if you're just kind of throwing on uh, identity categories to look inclusive, but you're actually not doing that work and you're using woman with the X as an umbrella term to do that, it's all over the place. It's like saying we have people of color at our office uh, and you don't. It's yeah, just kind so of looking inclusive and not actually being inclusive. It's performative, as we like to say. Yeah. So how can folks show their allyship for women during Women's History Month and every day? And I do think we're at a turning point, by the way. I think that we're, we're finally fully understanding the scope of what being a woman is. I don't know if I believe that. I certainly hope so. I think one of the biggest goals is to not narrowly define it. That means not connecting things like having children, menstruating, all these different things. That's not what womanhood is. It has to be defined differently by different people. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Um, and so standing up for all women at all times, um, whether or not they're doing womanhood the same way that you might understand it, mm-hmm. because that's, that's the key. It's for us to self-define and live our lives and be women in the way that makes sense to us. And not only supporting women when there's a crisis, so not only supporting uh, survivors who are women during Me Too, not only supporting, uh, you know, our trans women, uh, sisters who are impacted by violence when violence happens or when they're surviving it, but at all times and creating infrastructure to constantly protect people and supporting that. Um, and that means sometimes having to deal with our own biases and how those biases show up in the world. Um, but it's exciting work to be done because it's possible. It's not like it, we need extra tools to do it. Yes. We have Google right there. We have supercomputers at our fingertips at all times. And the research is out there. It's just about having that interest and wanting to honor more people's humanity. And, and follow Abla Armani on social media because that's where you can get smarter <laughs> in seconds. That's her series. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks again. We love you and hope to see you soon. Toodaloo. Coming up on the show, Pete Buttigieg has sold his Indiana home. What the buyer plans to do with it and how you can get involved. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and coming up. Everyone's been talking about these Tom Cruise deepfake videos. Have you seen these, Ryan? I have, and we've had the deepfake conversation here, but the Tom Cruise ones are really, really weird. Yeah, it's getting next level. We're going to talk more about it and the ethical implications of all of this, what you should be worried about. That is coming up at 4.20 p.m. Pacific, 7.20 p.m. Eastern. My fear is that we're going to see deep fakes of ourselves one day. Like, someone's going to really play around and steal our identities, our family members' identity. Like, you know, my grandmother and older folks are really, like, they they can get scams really easily. What if that happens for them? 
Yeah, or they're I, gone, and so make people could use it. Yes. And then you families will have to sue. There's a lot here that I'm just, like, freaking out about because technology is just getting too good, and I feel like Elon Musk is responsible for the destruction <laughs> of the world. Let's blame Elon Musk for everything. No, for sure. Yeah, I think he's the only reason to blame. Well, let's get into some what's trending this hour in the meantime. President Biden is uh, calling Texas and Mississippi decisions to end mask mandates a big mistake, and he's criticizing them as well. Here's what he had to share. I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. Oh, he called them Neanderthals. <laughs> I like it when he, he gets a little uh, racy and is like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're going we to throw a couple punches at him. Because he's like, he is the, that guy that is supposed to be kind of like the guy that you wouldn't know in your in your neighborhood or your your town or something, right? Well, like, he's not mean. So, you no. know, it's like this is him being annoyed. Yeah, right? this is the meanest he will probably ever get. Exactly. Now, Secretary of Transportation uh, Pete Buttigieg is selling his and his husband's home in Indiana to someone who's already planned to do some things in the house. This person's going to host cabaret shows. So uh, the former mayor of South Bend and his husband have moved with their dogs, Buddy and Truman, to an apartment in D.C. and have decided it isn't feasible to keep their home in Indiana, even though they have a lot of memories there. So Aaron Nichols, the executive director of South Bend Civic Theater, purchased the home and he's planning on hosting an online cabaret show in the house in May. It's actually a 2,500 square foot home. And so you could find out more if you want to watch, get involved. In South Bend, Indiana? No, it's an online show, virtually. No, but I meant in the house. Yeah, I guess he's using the house for a cabaret show. Oh, that's hot. (laughs) SBCT.org. South Bend's... I hope it's queer. Um, I'm assuming it, like, yes, it's connected to the queer community. You never know. I guess that is, it's true, that is an assumption. <laughs> but I'm just saying all the roads lead to one place. <laughs> it just seems like that's it. Um, that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. Okay, if you're wondering if Halsey planned her pregnancy or did it just happen, listen up. It is time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So I don't know why folks are so obsessed with if she planned her pregnancy or not. Well, she is opening up about her pregnancy journey. She took to her Instagram story to talk about her maternity amid unwanted speculation over her coming baby. Uh, basically, the people were asking, well, why is it okay to speculate and pass judgment about fertility and, 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 con- and conception? Um, she said, my pr- pregnancy was 100% planned, and I tried very hard for this baby, but I would be just as happy even if I were another way. To be honest, she got all that damn money. I'm pretty sure she should be planning for it because she, and if she, you know, didn't plan for it, she has so much money that she can take care of it, right? Like she is comfortable in a spot where she's, you know, with this person and and they can raise this family. And, you know, she's really been very open um, about her experiences. Uh, She said this on Twitter. It's wonderful to celebrate something with you all after years of sharing all that sad stuff. And she was citing her previous miscarriages and struggles with uh, endometriosis. And she says, and just so we're aware, 
if it wasn't for COVID, I would have done the tour pregnant. I mean, of course, that would have been kind of iconic. It's, Has anyone done a tour pregnant before? Have you met Beyonce? Oh, yes. Sorry. Are you Sorry. kidding me? Are you kidding me? On Beyonce's internet. Um, it's yes. a lot. That yeah, is, it's, it's an it's energy drain. I mean. I just want people to stop worrying about other folks. Like, who cares if this girl plans her pregnancy or not? It just feels, like, ridiculous. Especially, that could be triggering because oh, yeah. we've talked about, the like, fertility issues. We And you have, a, you know, something that you've worked on where you've discussed, like, you know, I wasn't. I don't like, know. I've talked about so fraternity. many things. Like, well, not, fertility accusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you talked, to, and that's a difficult process. So it's not good to be uh, for yeah. everybody judging. I, I think we're so used to these things from the past where we would put these assumptions on people. Or it was like okay, like to ask someone about these things, right? right, right. And I think now everyone's coming out about certain things and saying how they want to be treated around these subjects and we're learning what we assumed was okay was actually not okay yeah so we're all kind of changing our perception around things and how we talk about things like that's what i'm saying is like i think we are at a turning point in so many areas right now yeah, I mean, I think there's still going to be people who are going to be a-holes, um, but... Or just curious and gossipy. Like, See, that, I there's always those. I wouldn't even give it curious. Curious feels like you're kind of giving them a little bit of a leeway. But that's your team report. Y'all know I got more coming up next hour. You're welcome. It's like my aunts who bother my mom thinking they're going to... Uh, I'm going to be on OnlyFans. <laughs> Like, I'm Girl, telling you, these are these types of people. Shira has never had anything more exciting in her life, by the, the like, except for this OnlyFans thing. We will hear it until the end of time. It's happening. Yeah. Um, not next segments. At a certain point in the show, I'll tell you the story. At the top of next have. hour. No, I'm going to explain. I have a continuation of the story. Could you please? Coming up next on the show, what public school students are allowed to say on social media may be about to change. We'll tell you how next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Schools are facing a very challenging time right now. Well, besides the obvious being in a pandemic, but also what happens when everyone is on social media. Schools in the digital age. Exactly. And they're trying to figure out whether they can discipline students for remarks made on social media about school or school officials. And the answer isn't actually as clear as you think because of different court decisions and different judicial districts. And here to explain more is Scott F. Johnson, professor of law at Concord Law School. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So are there student speech standards and have they changed in the age of social media? Because this seems like it could uh, be a, a strange place to be right now because everything's changing so quickly. It is indeed. And what we have are standards that existed prior to social media and online speech. And of course, have been trying to apply those old standards to this new setting. And that's resulted in some mixed results. Oh, yeah. And so the Supreme Court took uh-huh. a case that may change some of that. There's no way to know for sure what the court will do, but it involves these specific issues of social media that you mentioned and a school disciplining a student for social media comments. And so we'll see what the court does. First, what was that original standard speech, just so we understand the context? Yeah, there was a case way back in the late 60s where students protested the Vietnam War by wearing black um, armbands to school and they were disciplined. And that was called Tinker versus Des Moines. And the Supreme Court said that in order to discipline students for speech, there needs to be some reasonable expectation of that speech will substantially disrupt school activities or impinge on the rights of others. That's kind of the starting point. 
And then we had a series of other cases that dealt with other issues that provided exceptions. For example, a case called Bethel versus Frazier dealt with a student making some lewd kind of sexual innuendos at school, but there was no disruption. And so the student says, you know, you can't discipline me. I didn't disrupt anything. But the Supreme Court disagrees and says, no, schools have an obligation to teach students certain things, socially appropriate behaviors, one of those things. So there are some exceptions, and that's one of them. Another one is if the school is producing the speech. So within a student newspaper that's produced by the school, the school has more discretion on what's printed there. So, and then well, there was one final case called okay. Bong Hits for Jesus back in the, the 2007s where students held up a, a banner that said Bong Hits for Jesus and were disciplined, and that created another exception around speech that proposed uh, drug use or anything around illegal drugs. I mean, professor of law. We're uh, learning. He is a professor for sure because he's a talker. Um, I think what's interesting, a lot of students, they always claim First Amendment rights and, and saying like, hey, you can't take that away from me. But does that really exist in school districts? Well, in general, the freedom of speech is an absolute, right? The government can infringe upon your right to free speech if it has a sufficient reason to do it. That's the whole set up with all constitutional rights. And so in the school setting, the protection is even less than it would be outside of the school setting because of the reasons we just talked about. Schools have these obligations to provide a safe educational environment and educate students. But there are some protections. So it really just depends on the circumstances and what happens as a result of the speech in terms of whether the student can be disciplined for the speech. Yeah. Again, uh, Scott F. Johnson joins us, professor of law at Concord Law School, as we talk about social media and what's allowed in school. Uh, So what about freedom of speech here? I guess it doesn't apply. Yeah, unless uh, if it's disruptive to the school. Right. That's currently one of the main standards If the speech that the student makes is disruptive. then courts have allowed uh, schools to discipline, even if that speech has occurred off campus on social media or online, for the most part. A handful of courts have said, no, a different standard should apply to that kind of off-campus speech, whether it's off online or offline. And this is one case that did that. So the case that's currently before the Supreme Court, the lower court used a different standard, a more protective standard, and said that the school could not discipline this cheerleader for her social media comments because they were made outside of school over the weekend and just sent to friends. And that's kind of the issue. Is the Supreme Court going to agree with that or are they going to you know, use some of these other standards that have been used or are they going to create a new standard? Yeah, and how, did, how do these rules change, especially when we're seeing just a huge surge of people protesting, especially in these Gen Z millennials? They're saying what they want to say, especially about politics right now and just things that are impacting our communities. And so how does that change and play into this as well? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it really depends on the circumstances and where the speech is. So, you know, if you're outside of the school setting, then these school standards wouldn't generally apply. There are other kinds of standards that apply for protests and if people are making uh, different remarks, there's more protection for that kind of speech. States or communities can enact certain restrictions to prevent speech in some ways or in some areas, but there's still a lot of protection for First Amendment speech these days. We're dealing here with more of a different scenario because it's school speech and whether schools should discipline students for making speech that's, you know, dealing with either with other students or school or school officials. 
And of course, there's cancel culture. And like, listen, if something needs to get out, it needs to get out. And someone's going to protect that student for doing it for good reason. So I think it gets complicated these days. But thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Scott F. Johnson, professor of law at Concord Law School. Coming up on the show, what's the story behind deepfake videos? And should you be worried about how they could be used? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Tom Cruise has gotten the deep fake treatments. These hyper-realistic videos of the actor have been shared on TikTok, going viral, and it's bringing up new attention and concerns about deep fakes. Rebecca Howell from Vox is back with us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, and of course, Recode. Uh, now, we want to get into this. For those who don't know what deep fakes are, can you explain, give us a 101 how it works? Yeah, so I would think of deepfakes as sort of Photoshop on steroids, you know, powered by artificial intelligence. So essentially what it's doing is taking someone's face, in some cases someone's voice, and basically mapping it onto another person's body. So it can make someone look like they're saying something that they've never said or doing some, doing some, done something that they've never done. Yeah, because I've seen it with um, President Obama when that happened. And then I also saw it with uh, Kristen Bell where she was talking about people were putting her face on porn and stuff. And Nancy Pelosi, too, that video came out of her drunk. Right. So how has it advanced over time? Like, is it getting like really realistic? Like, how how have we seen it kind of change over time? So there's been creative video editing for a really long time. And sometimes you do see videos on the Internet that make it seem like a celebrity said or did something or a politician said or did something they didn't do. That's just kind of creative, simple video editing. But what we've seen in the past you know, few years is that this has gotten a lot more realistic. So it's not just a grainy, weirdly edited video, but it really, really looks like someone is saying something they did not Say, you could almost imagine the artificial intelligence like a puppet, like basically one person's uh, facial movements are being choreographed by the AI, um, by someone else's um, direction, which is what makes it so realistic and so concerning. Yeah. How uh, can there be legal implica- implications around this? Like, how can people protect themselves? Because it seems like for public figures, this can be very worrisome. And then I would even say, quote unquote, regular people could be taken advantage of. Yeah, I mean, the people who are most sort of at risk of deepfakes right now are women and women whose faces have basically been put into pornography and adult videos without their consent. So they, you know, we talk about, you know, politicians and the threat of misinformation, but really it's women who have seen um, the brunt of this issue. You know, it really depends on the state you're in. Some states have passed laws specifically sort of targeting kind of revenge porn uh, made with uh, deep fakes. You know, there have been some laws based on other applications of deep fakes, but by and large, there's no real national legislation fully addressing deep fakes. So, of course, if someone does something illegal with a deep fake, you might kind of try to get it taken down or approach that through another law. But it wouldn't be a law necessarily focused on deep fakes. Yeah, and to be honest, I, I feel like I've seen it and you can automatically tell like, oh, this is not real. And so I think there feels like there's still this understanding of like, oh, okay, this is just fake at this point. But should we be more worried about this than we kind of are? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on the application. You know, if you're a woman who has had her face taken and put in these videos, even if it looks sort of fake, it still might be very um, concerning to you that your image is being used in that way without your consent, even if, you know, even if it isn't like entirely realistic. But there are concerns from politicians, from a national security perspective, that a really, really convincing deepfake could mislead the public during an election. On the other hand, there's concern that you can spread doubt about accurate content by calling it a deepfake when it's not. So it, it, it's really, it's a really, really tough issue. Wait, is President, was President Trump a deepfake? Is <laughs> <laughs> this whole existence a deepfake? Are social media platforms doing anything about this? So um, as I'm aware of, I think uh, Facebook and t- Twitter have taken some view um, on on deepfakes and they sometimes call it like manipulated media. But one of the challenges with this is that a lot of the people who are producing these really viral videos are artists and people claiming that they're doing it for self-expression or, you know, some kind of political statement or statement about culture. So it gets into the weeds of that free expression discussion as well. Wow. A lot to think about. Rebecca Howell, thank you as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Rebecca is a writer. Check out her stuff on Vox.com. And Recode. And Recode. It's all part of one together. Now coming up on the show, oh, we've been wanting to talk about this story for a while. A gay college professor is wondering if he should delete his grinder profile because he's scared of his students finding him. We're I don't know be- why I thought we found another story. We're going to be talking about that next. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So we've done this before. We like to go into the advice column archives and find interesting questions and try to answer those questions because we're the experts as well, aren't we, Ryan? No, I don't think we're, we should but be deemed experts. It's entertaining. True. Right? All right. So this Delusional. person asks, I'm a 32-year-old single gay man who will be starting a doctoral program in the fall during which I'll be teaching. Hello, Professor. He said the university is a conservative state, but near a progressive city. So as a teacher, he doesn't actually have a problem with a student finding him on Tinder or Hinge. But he's saying uh, he's feeling bad at, at an odd with both the student's ability to feel safe and focused in class if they do find him and the potential for a student trying to mess with me. I don't really want to spend the next four years of my life celibate, but I'm going to prioritize completing my program. So do I need to delete those apps or become a blank headless profile. So basically, does he need to delete, be celibate, or does he go on, take his face off so no one can see him? Is he living on campus? Like, that's my thing. Like, he's completely changing his entire profile. a small profile. town. You I, know. I get it. I get it. Um, but I, I also think um, that, yeah, maybe he should, you know, maybe be a blank profile or whatever. So just as abs? Well, there are some people who do that, right? And I think even when I thought about it here when I used to be on the apps, um, when I started working here, being like, oh, there's a lot of gay people around. We, you know, radio.com here in Los Angeles, we have a lot of gay men here. And uh-huh. I was just like, honey, I don't need them seeing and knowing all my business on the apps and stuff. And I, I either, if I see them, I block them immediately, oh. which that is actually really interesting. Maybe he could do that if he sees a student that he's familiar yeah. with. Just block them. Or, um, you know, just take your photo off. I know a lot of people who do that, who that will still send a first photo when they send the first message. So there's kind of like a game Oh, really? So they this. have no picture in their profile? Yeah, they have no picture in their profile, but they have a little bit of a bio that may say like, you know, 
I'll send photos if you ask, and then just do it. I mean, when you say, hey, you should have a photo, but I think if he's worried about sleeping with the student. Not sleeping, that making them uncomfortable, like like as if it's weird. That, no, that he has on. a sex life. It's okay. He's a human. That's, That's what I think. I'm like, if he doesn't get over it and just like block the people that he knows and just live his life and, and do the nasty stuff that folks on Grindr love to do. Or he's just going to be celibate and angry, and then that will also impact his students. Cher, what color is the grinder icon? Well, uh, green? Green? <laughs> Purple? I think it's yellow, actually. Okay, the one color I say. <laughs> I'm not psychic if I thought I was. She's never even heard of grinder. Right? It's her first time. No. Coming up on the show, we've got What's Trending This Hour. A rally turned ugly when a speaker called uh, the mayor gay homophobic slurs. That's next. Again, this is Shira. And this is Ryan. And typically you listen to this show uh, right now, actually, but we have new hours. So mm-hmm. this is the last hour now of the show. We've been on since 2 p.m. Pacific, me, 5 p.m. Eastern. Let me say the hours this time. I think okay, I got go it. Go for it. We are on live from 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific to 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Is that right? You got it. <laughs> Congratulations. Ah, oh, my God. It is so hard. I, I won't get over it. It I, is strange. It's difficult. What's wrong it's, with it's us? It's difficult. It's fine. Well, coming up this hour, uh, Texas is lifting the mask mandate. So is that a good or bad idea? We've got an infectious diseases expert on to help us navigate that and with all those answers. Plus, using the term women with an X. Why some are calling this out for not being inclusive. And Blair Imani, historian and social media star, is here for that. Love having her on. But first, we've got a bunch of stories in what's trending this hour. Former VP Mike Pence is continuing to push false claims of voting irregularities in one of his first public statements since leaving office. He expressed concerns about the integrity of the 2020 election. He's cited significant and troubling voting irregularities in this op-ed for the conservative publication Daily Signal. And he also said that what happened on January 6th that put him and his family in direct danger was tragic and that it deprived the American people of a substantive discussion in Congress about election integrity in America. It's an interesting spin on what happened. By the way, this is all happening also because Congress is set to vote against a sweeping government ethics and election bill uh, that they're going to be taking up Wednesday. That's today. First of all... Mike Pence is trying to secure his 2024 run with uh, Trump, but that's just not going to happen. Trump is going to go with someone, like, just even crazier, to be quite honest. Well, even Governor Kemp, you know, Brian Kemp. Oh, God. No, but, you know, he fought Trump Don't say his name three times. But Trump fought him, and he just announced that he's going to vote for him in 2024. The campaign is already started. I know, but here's the thing. It's so sad. It it feels like the GOP is just in a very abusive relationship with Donald Trump. Like, they can't get away from him. He's like... I don't know. They're obsessed with him. He's an I. I mean, they're idol in a weird way. You saw at the uh, the CPAC thing, they had a gold statue dedicated to him. Like false idols, gross. It's weird. Uh, and I just want to talk about this. We're not going to play the video. It's not appropriate. We are going to uh, talk about this a gay mayor, mayor who had a homophobic slur. Uh, who, 
that was uh, told about him or said about him. A rally to denounce violence against women and the verbal abuse of Trenton, New Jersey Council President ended up in a shocking display of homophobic slurs last week. Uh, this was a story that came out of Out.com. Mayor Reed Guschiora is gay, posted this two-minute video of the rally to Twitter, noting it was just another day in Trenton. Uh, of course, we can't play the video because it's just bad. But if you're in Trenton, New Jersey, we are looking out for you. And shout out to Mayor Reed Guschiora, who's representing. Finally, Johnson & Johnson is likely to have a COVID-19 vaccine available for children under the age of 18 by September. Uh, and they said that this specific vi- vaccine has been used in lower age groups before. They announced last week that they plan to vaccine adolescents. And they said they'll begin testing it in people ages 12 to 18 and it will go down from there. Both Pfizer and Moderna are currently trialing their mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccines in children too. So that's coming by September. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? There's a new celebrity documentary on the way. It is time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Lifetime and A&E have picked up a two-part documentary about the life and career of the one and only Janet Jackson. How exciting is this? Uh, The four-hour project, which has the working title, Janet, is timed to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Jackson's self-titled debut album, which was released in 1982. It will feature archival footage and never-before-seen home videos, as well as interviews with those close to the singer. The documentary will also um, touch on uh, the infamous 2004 Super Bowl appearance with Justin Timberlake and the death of her brother, Michael Jackson. And it's been in the works for like three years now. So it's really going to go there. And I, I, I think, you know, Justin Timberlake is not going to be able to catch a break at this point from the Britney Spears doc to the Janet Jackson documentary. Girl, he might as well hang it up flat screen because it's done and it's over with. His career, no really? one wants to hear from him. I don't think so. He is a, He was a misogynist pig back in the day. And the fact that there's all these clips, these fake apologies, it just... And he was also celebrated by so many women. Girl, cry me a river. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm super excited to see Janet Jackson get her shine, of course, as usual. That is your tea report. You can check out any of the stories I have covered on today's show at WeAreChannelQ.com. And, of course, follow us on social media at LGT Show. Wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yaz Queen! We didn't get to talk about this, but there was this Frida mom ad. It's Breast Care for Moms. It actually aired during the Golden Globes, and it shows the raw, real experience of motherhood. This ad is just groundbreaking, so we want to honor it today. All right, girls. You've got this. Latch. And latch better. And oh, God, unlatch, unlatch. And raw. And yes, as I watch this at first, I... uh, clenched myself i just like i i i felt the pain is that why you were over there grabbing your your chest i was i was feeling it it was real i almost felt like i had to call hr i was like over there seeing her grab her chest i was like whoa what's crazy is is that it's 2021 and this is the first commercial that's been so honest to the experience so we want to applaud this company frida mom for going there we love that you know we we love showing real experiences Mm -hmm. of motherhood and um i think it's important well we do but traditional media doesn't seem to like it well they need to they Mm -hmm. need to get over that real quick 
And finally, ahead of International Women's Day, it's Mattel has introduced a new Barbie inspired by the life and legacy of Eleanor Roosevelt. It's the latest doll that is part of the company's Inspiring Women collection. Now, you might remember, Ryan, at the beginning of this year, the series also paid tribute to poet, author, and activist Dr. Maya Angelou. Ella Fitzgerald and Rosa Parks are also part of the series. Guess who's next to get a Barbie? You want to know who? Who? Sheila Lazar. Yes. Oh, my God. She's going to have her own Barbie. Oh, my God. Thank you. And it's just going to say awkward things every time you, like, I don't know, tap her We need one of those. (laughs) Everyone can identify with that. The every woman Barbie. Yes. I don't have it together. I'm falling apart. Not the every woman Barbie. is just a white woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't. So let's also add this. Oh, God. Uh, they're also doing this for International Women's Day, rolling out a You Can Be Anything digital series. And this is cool. They have uh, Yara Shahidi, who's going to, and activist Adwa Aboa, yes. who's going to be part of these live streams on Facebook and YouTube. So, oh, this is exciting. Yes, check it out. Good on Mattel for continuing to do great stuff. That does it for our show and our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. The every woman. God. <laughs> Can I back that one up? Back it up. Back it up. Back yeah, it up. Yeah. Uh, coming up on tomorrow's show, the pandemic. We've hit our one year mark. Congratulations, yeah. everyone. Oh, my God. Has life just been awful? Well, experts are explaining why many of us could experience anniversary reaction, what they're Ooh. calling it. We'll be talking more about that. Tomorrow, and reacting to a reaction. It's getting meta here. Uh, And a therapist is blowing minds by explaining how men can have sex with men and still be straight. Huh? I mean, yes. That's coming up on tomorrow's show. 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, we've got new hours again. That's 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here on Channel Q. If you miss any of our shows, we have a podcast. You can find our podcast at radio.com. Just search Let's Go There. It's that easy. We're sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for Loveline when Dr. Chris is covering how to not keep yourself single. Hmm, I'm intrigued. That's next.